If you've struggled with stress, balance, or burnout, and simply felt discouraged or even defeated, if you're ready to move from force to flow and enjoy ultimate Zen success in your career, health, or relationships, then this podcast is for you. Your host, Carissa Sims, is an entrepreneur, corporate consultant, best-selling author, meditation teacher, and healer who has found her own Zen success. Here's your host, Carissa. Welcome to this week's episode of Zen Success. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Doug Gordon. Let me tell you a little bit about Doug. He coaches, trains, and consults with some of the top CEOs and athletes, TV celebs, sports stars, New York Times bestselling authors, business executive, film stars. It's just, you should hear some of the people that he's worked with. His show, Inspirational People and Inspiring Stories, has more than 2 million listeners. That's incredible. He works with some of the largest corporations in the world, conducting corporate training workshops, programs, and talks. And he's going to share a little bit later how he got awarded a special award during the pandemic, where he just gave unconditionally. He is a professional speaker and has spoken in America, Europe, UK, and Ireland. He has shared the stage with CEOs, film stars, TV celebs, New York Times bestselling authors, and sports stars. He is the CEO of DNS Performance Optimization and specializes in coaching, consulting, and training. So they work with many companies and industries such as financial services, tech, healthcare, engineering, manufacturing, and Doug's radio show, which I talked about before, interviews amazing people like John Martini, top CEOs, famous authors, and celebrities. He's Doug is the former head of sales and marketing for one of Europe's top asset management firms. He sold hedge and investment funds B2B for 21 years to CEOs and CIOs at some of the largest banks and fund managers. He was described in the Irish Independent as one of the city big hitters in terms of the city of London financial industry. Welcome, Doug. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you, Chris. Lovely to see you. Yes, nice to see you. Because we only got to hear each other. I connected with Doug off of Clubhouse. And I was so inspired by his heart, his energy, and just his way of giving back. And then he was talking about how he loved John Martini, And he was there. <laughs> on the stage and it was so awesome how he interviewed him six times i couldn't believe that that was amazing synchronicity wasn't it oh absolutely well john john and i have had so many synchronistic things happen and he's such a legend he's such a nice guy uh, everything you see on stage is even better when you get to know him in person as well um he comes from a heart space a higher space he really really cares about people and he flies all around the world uh, sometimes 350 days a year to help people as much as possible. So we've become really good friends and uh, yeah, he's lovely. 
That's awesome. And I actually had the opportunity of interviewing him as well, because I was interviewing Mark Victor Hansen. He's like, let me connect you with all of my friends. And so I was lucky enough to interview him and he was on his yacht, you know, with his girlfriend and he, it was just, yeah, it was amazing. So let's talk about you now. Um, how do you help individuals and companies find their flow? Yeah. So my viewpoint is that everything in terms of flow comes down to um, emotional intelligence, self-love, and also being able to balance the energies in terms of the spiritual, mental, emotional, physical energies together so that you're aligned in the best possible way. And, you know, quite often what happens when we get into um, flow state, this is where basically we're in this focused state of action and then there's no distraction. And when we can get into that state, it's amazing what you can achieve so quickly um, in terms of life, but also in business as well. And you get more done, less time, less stress. And it's interesting, even when you get in that flow state, I think it was McKinsey did a study showing that those people who are in the flow were 500% more productive. And even if you just look on a basic level, I think it was Forbes magazine showed that even happier staff are 20% more productive and happier salespeople, 37% more productive. And Fortune magazine actually showed that the top 100 places to work for in terms of the happy factor uh, had stock market returns between 1997 and 2004 of around about 15%. And those outside of that averaged around about 5%. So it shows that, you know, really, really happy people make a massive difference. And actually, I checked this out, Chris, because um, having uh, been a stock market guy, I looked up at this myself and I saw that the day before Thanksgiving, the day before Easter, the day before Independence Day, and the last two weeks of the year in terms of the happy part of the year, um, the stock market was about 85% of the time so positive people produce positive results so how do we get into that state well it's firstly it's all about you know connection with your own self it's making sure that you're aligned to your true sense of purpose so that you're inspired in terms of the action that you have you align your goals in terms of where you are and what you're looking to achieve uh, to those uh, mission statements or those purpose and then you need to make sure that as well that you are very much connecting with your inner self, your higher self, your heart self, so that you come for that in terms of the decision making you make, but also realizing that everything you do in terms of the tasks that you put together, that they better someone's life in some way or form. So when I was working in the, um, in the uh, investment world, I would always say to the investment people that I was working with, say, look, what we're actually doing here is ensuring that granny or grandpa, uh, you know, can retire younger, give more to their children, their grandchildren, or buy a better retirement home. So we're making their lives better. So whether you're an IT guy, making sure that we can do better online research or valuations or whatever it is, you're still helping us produce a better result and a better life for that end granny or grandpa. So when you align those together, then you can get yourself into the best possible state because energetically you'll be inspired into a state of love, which I always say is lots of vibrant energy. And when you have that love for what you do, love for the people you work with and love for the people you serve as well, you tend to be a lot more high vibe and get more done in less time and less stress. Wow, that's powerful. That's a lot packed in there. I just wanted to go back to what, what you found in your research about the stock market. Did you mean that the stock market is higher right before these holidays? Yeah, so if you take, say, let's take the day before, what's the latest one now, where are we? Uh, the day before Independence Day. Okay. If you, have a look, if you have a look at that on a year-by-year -year basis, say over the last 25 years, 85% of the time, generally the market goes up, even if it's like 0.1%. Yeah. So, and the reason being, if you think about that, 
is because the person is going into work knowing that the next day they're on holiday or they've got a weekend long break or something like that. So they're really happy. And a lot of people go away, obviously, for those kind of holidays as well, because they tally it in with their uh, work holidays. So they tend to be very happy. And obviously, in the last two weeks of the year, when people are a bit more relaxed, it's the end of the year, it's Christmas time, uh, there's lots of partying going on. Uh, there tends to be a bit more uh, positivity around as well. Uh, and it's interesting, actually, on the opposite effect, um, most of the big um, crashes that happen that we've seen, including in 2008, which was October, happen about a month after uh, everybody comes back from their summer holidays at the end of August. Um, because they get back to the office, they're sitting there, and after a while, they're still living on the on the on uh, surfing the wave of the fun of the holiday. But then eventually, they wake up in reality a month later or a few weeks later, and then boom, the negativity hits the markets or something like that. So that's why it's so important to get yourself into a positive state, get your staff into a positive state, and align all your staff in a positive way in some way or form. Yeah, that's amazing. I love how you bring the happiness and the energy and how they're connected with their heart and also, um, you know, how their energy changes. Like if they go on vacation, I was thinking that maybe there was something else that happened too, where there's not as much activity. They're not like, uh, there's not as much fear selling, you know what I mean? With a stock market based on the news, there's not as much news, you know? So there's all those, it's really interesting. So now we're giving stock <laughs> tips, everybody do their own research, but I do find that really fascinating about the stock market. It's so great that you could bring that information in for our audience. So, and you kind of talked about this a little bit, but what do you mean when you say where focus goes, energy flows? Okay, so I'll give you one, one example. There was, a, there was a client of mine who was a billionaire and he, well, he still is a billionaire. And um, he, <laughs> well, he uh, still is. I asked him, did he have a morning routine in any way or form? And he said, no except that he did write down his tasks or what he needed to do during the day. And then he would lie on a couch in his office, close his eyes and visualize all those tasks he needed to do in a state of celebration in terms of achieving them. And he'd also do that for his long-term goals. And I said to him, I said, well, that sounds like a bit of a morning routine to me. And he, <laughs> yeah. And that was before working with you. That's amazing. huh? Exactly. And, and it, what it says to me is that, you know, what you're, absolutely doing is you're setting in the vision in your mind's eye that you're going to get all those done so you're setting an automatic uh, intention uh, positively to get these done and it's incredibly uh, important to do I think because let's face it I played um, National League hockey as in field hockey um, when I was younger and uh, well before I'd hit the ball I would visualize where the ball was going to go and people do that all the time in golf football as in soccer many other sports as well and that's why I think it's so powerful to be able to visualize um, in a positive way what you need to do in a state of celebration as well. And it's incredibly powerful how that is, where you put that focus on that thing and you focus and focus and focus. And obviously by taking inspired action, then you make it happen. And um, I actually have an acronym for MAKE actually, which is Mindset, Actions, Knowledge and Energy, where you have the right mindset, which is obviously what we're talking about, take the right actions in terms of knowing where you are and what you're trying to achieve, have knowledge in terms of research, but also have a knowing faith in yourself and then put that massive positive energy towards it as well. Um, and if you can do that with that energetic focus 
and sense of where you're going and where you are and you have a good plan in place, uh, you can end up you know, achieving your goals very much quicker. And I would say in terms of actions in a business, make sure you put a business plan in place so you get that direction, that focus. And don't just use that business plan as something that you put away in the cupboard and look at bonus time. Actually use it as a workbook where you have targets in place for the year, for the quarter, for the month, and for the week, and put daily processes, procedures, and systems in place that lead you towards those targets. So it's a workbook. Secondly, in terms of a business, client map. It gives you focus again, where energy flows, focus flows. So client map. So have a look and make sure you're spending the right time with the right people to produce the most amount of revenue. But also if you're an entrepreneur or something like that, if you're going into the local town or village or whatever, don't bother going to the Starbucks. If you've got a little bit of extra time, go to the best hotel in town, go in there and have your coffee there because you never know who you could be sitting next to. There could be somebody coming into the town, staying in that hotel, and it could be a multimillionaire or a billionaire or whatever that could change your life or even become your best friend. Who knows? And the other thing I also say to people is if you can afford it, and obviously some people can when they're starting early business, but if you can, when you're traveling on a plane, if possible, travel business class or first class, not because I'm, I'm only five foot eight, so I don't do it because I'm tall or I want to be flash. I do it, especially even just, you know, normal kind of business class, just try, uh, traveling short haul. So there's no big fancy seats or anything like that. I get to sit next to two potential CEOs or two potential game changers in terms of success, which gives me an option of speaking to them. And, you know, potentially get clients or masterminding ideas together or make a new friend. And um, it's about putting yourself in the right place at the right time with the right people to produce the best possible results. And that's key. And then finally, um, in terms of activity planning, I'd, I always say, and this is again where focus goes, energy flows, uh, activity planning. I always tell my team to try and get their stuff done in the morning. Uh, Brian Tracy wrote a book called Eat That Frog. Um, and it's all about getting rid of the stuff that you don't like doing, the administration or the taxes or whatever in the morning, and then do the fun stuff in the afternoon when you still got to, you know, you might have a slightly less energy. But I always say to people, if you are a, you know, a client facing person or a salesperson or a business development person, do the main meeting of the day at lunchtime because people generally give a bit more time to people at lunchtime and then put two geographic coffees or meetings either side of that to save your time out of the office and optimizing your time. And then when you get back in, you'll have been talking about markets, about industry, about product, about people and everything like that. So when you get back and you might want to make some sales calls, you'll be in that flow state of you know, knowledge and action that you can then add more value to the people you speak to on the phone or just have that energy of confidence when you actually speak to them to arrange your meetings for the next calls and the next meetings and so on. And people tend to go home at, at five o'clock or six o'clock. So they tend to be a bit more receptive to that call as well. Uh, and also they generally got their stuff done they needed to in the morning as well. So, yeah, so that's just a few kind of focus and actions that you can take that are quite grounded that might help some people who are listening. Yeah. And so are you, are you recommending that uh, salespeople make their calls in the afternoon after they've had these other important sales meetings? You think that's a better time to reach people? It was for me in my perspective. Yes. Oh, I see. But if you, if you're trying to get hold of say a CEO of a company or a managing director mm -hmm. of a company uh, and they have staff that work for them, um, like, you know, I was a C-level exec, so I know this, you know, um, you know, sometimes it's better to be uh, calling them at 7.30 in the morning or 7 o'clock at night or 6 <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah, because then their their staff is gone. You get direct exactly. access. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So that's, that that's a great advice. tip. That's a great tip. It would be my only advice. And look, 
I've done this. I mean, I, I would, as a sales guy, when I was working as a sales guy, I found the afternoons the best time because people have eaten their lunch. They're a bit more relaxed. And they, I found them, you know, and this is like 20 plus years of doing it. Uh, I found them much more receptive to a call in the afternoon. But that was my own experience. People might have different things in different industries. This was just the asset management world, the investment world, the fund management world. And um, you may be out there listening to this in a completely different industry. And mm-hmm. there might be people that have meetings in the afternoon or something like that. And it doesn't suit them. So right. it, it's very much about, you know, different strokes for different folks. Yeah, that's interesting. And and I worked in the IT industry a lot and I was kind of surprised people just came in whenever they wanted to. I mean, but then they stayed, you know, these companies would provide them dinner. And so then they'd stay after dinner. So they'd come in like 10, 10 a.m., 11 a.m., noon sometimes. And that was accepted in that industry. And I I was kind of like, what? I mean, I get up early and I just think, oh, my gosh, how could you come in so late? But um, But they were still very productive. And that was just, I guess, in that industry, acceptable. Yeah, 100%. And look. You know, I, I'm I, I I have been an early riser, uh, but at the moment I'm doing a lot of work with uh, Americans and uh, you know especially Californians as well. I've I've worked with some Hollywood stars, um, which I'm very grateful for, and their husbands. That's exciting. Wife. Yeah, it was lovely. Yeah, and uh, based on that, you know, sometimes I can be up quite late, and as you know, on Clubhouse as well, you know, sometimes it can go on. Well, it goes on all night. So uh, based on that, I sometimes have to say. Uh, I'm getting up at eight o'clock in the morning rather than five o'clock in the morning. Um, but I'm working sometimes till five o'clock in the morning. And actually, here's something. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> you yeah, can't, well, you're like one of those people that can work all night. I have totally lost that. I was that way in college, but I can't do that anymore. That's amazing. Well, here's the thing, Chris. Like, there is, I'm talking to you on my computer. It's going up to the satellite. It's going down into your computer. And we're speaking from one side of the world to the other. I'm in Dublin, you're in America and all that kind of stuff. Yes. It's lovely. It's, I'm it's in lovely. Colorado. I And I love, I haven't been to your city, but I would love to visit someday. Well, it, what's amazing is that there's 5 billion phones out there in, out of the 8 billion people on this planet. So that means there's sound waves and energy waves all around us. And I find in particular, because uh, generally people go to sleep, obviously at night, the waves of sound and energy are less in the area that you live in, obviously. So I actually find that actually working at nighttime, especially on my book, for example, which I've just about finished. Um, oh, congratulations. Because I was going to ask you, where's your book? <laughs> well, it's coming. I've done just under 60,000 words now. And I, I have uh, Dr. Yeah. John, John Martini, Lisa Nichols, Stephen Covey, um jack daly and many other famous people over in europe here uh, as testimonies on the book so i'm um, very grateful for that so yeah and, and, and i'm very blessed so yeah it's 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 coming up but what the, sorry the, the main point of the conversation really wasn't to promote my book i know really, but i'm just proud of you it's exciting thank you um it, it's more about the the fact that because there is a silence as in people are asleep uh, and there's less energy being used around because people have turned their TVs off and hopefully even their Wi-Fi's off. Mm-hmm. That, for me, I find that focus is much better at that time of night. And um, I sometimes wake up at that time of night where inspiration comes from out, out of nowhere, which is lovely. 
Oh, wow. That's amazing. That's really insightful of, of you. I mean, I sometimes can't get my stuff done at night because I have kids and, um, like this week, my daughter's not in camp, my son's in camp. So I find that, um, I can be very productive and just like give myself an hour and a half, but, um, but I do pay the price. I like, I get more tired and I'm less productive the next day sometimes. So yeah, that's really interesting. I liked what you said about that. You know, there's less energy in the environment so that you can hone in and really be productive. So, um, I know you were, I saw a picture of you doing muscle testing. Can you explain how this works and how you um, use it to empower your clients? Sure. So muscle testing is also called kinesiology and what it, uh, I'll describe it. So basically I got on stage and I, I, I have to say, I copied Jack Canfield on this. And um, so what I do is I get people on stage and, and you saw yeah. me with a picture of me on stage in front of 400 people and um, where I got one of their staff up on stage and I get them to put their arm out horizontally. And at that point, I then will ask them three questions, maybe something like this. So it'd be, are you on stage with Doug Gordon? And then what I will do is I'll then press down on their hand, on their arm, and I'll say for them to try and keep their arm as horizontal as possible. Yeah. And so you ask a really easy question like that. Yeah. Yeah. And where they're telling the truth. Mm -hmm. So I'll say, you know, am I, am I on, are you on stage with Doug Gordon? And, and they go, yes. And I push down and it's, it's very hard to move their arm. And then I might ask second question, something like, are you at Doug Gordon's performance optimization conference? And, you know, again, I can't push it down. I'm using full hand. And then I'll say, like, is your name Chris, for example? And, and again, you can't push down. All good. Then I'll say to the audience, I say, right, what I want to showcase to, to you guys is the power of negative energy and how it can affect your body. So as you as audience, I want you all to look at Chris or whoever is on stage and pretend that she's got really bad hair. And I want you to <laughs> see the energy of that bad hair, bad hair, bad hair, bad, you know, as such. And then I want to do the experiment again. So that happens. And then, you know, the lady normally has a little bit of a laugh or whatever, or if it's a gentleman, he'll giggle or whatever. And then I go back with, again, with the arm out horizontally, and I'll ask the exact same three questions. But they won't be able to see from behind that I just showed two fingers this time. And then I put the two fingers on top of their arm, and I go, is your name Doug Gordon or whatever? And then I can push it down, literally, easy, because the energy is... Oh, so... So, yeah, so you're not actually testing if it's false or anything, but something that is true will actually make them weaker because of the negative, negative energy of the audience. It doesn't matter whether it's true or false. The negative energy of the audience will hit them. And it's exactly oh, wow. like, let's say if you walk into a room and two people have just had an argument, you can feel that tension in the room. It's the energies, emotions, the emotions that are out that you can feel and the energy is through vibration hits you and you want to turn around and walk straight back out. So the energy of that negativity, that negative thoughts is hitting the person and it's weakening their auric field, their energetic field and their own self. And because of that, that's why it's easier to be able to push their arm down with the two fingers. So what I do is I do the three questions again. I'm easy, able to push their arm down easily. And then I tell them to do a grounding and protection technique where basically I get them to visualize going into their heart space, feel their energy in their heart, visualize a light of energy coming down into their top of their head, 
all the way through their body down to the center of the earth, connecting with the center of the earth, and then pulling it back up. Or I say to them to visualize themselves as a beautiful oak tree. And the top of your head are the, the leaves and the arms of the leaves. And the energy of the oak tree is going down to the center of the earth, pulling a water pool of water up through the roots, all the way up your feet, all the way up your trunk, all the way up the chest, out the top of the head, and spiraling back down like a beautiful waterfall. And then connect with your heart and expand that energy out like a bubble of light, expanding and sealing around your auric field in a positive way. I get them to do that. I then get the audience to resend the negativity again. And then this time I try and push down with the same uh, you know, pressure, this time a full hand, and I can't push down again because they are intentionally grounded and protecting their energy. It's a bit like an earth. When you're earthed, you can't really, you don't get electric shocks as much. And also when you've got this energy protection, that intention um, is almost sending out an auric field protection around you. Yeah. I love that. Oh, you are so in alignment with me. I do spiritual healing and that's how I teach my clients. Not exactly your technique is unique to you, but I give them other techniques like visualizing like a spiral of light around you. And like, if negative energy is coming to you, visualize like a rose and everything's going into that rose and not you. So, um, that is so amazing. I love that. And you have the evidence to support it that it worked a hundred percent and actually chris I, I love the fact that you have that rose idea because quite often there are some healers out there who are amazing but um in the past they've taught people to put a bubble of light around them and um, in sense of keeping maybe these energetic ghosts or entities or <laughs> energies or whatever away from them um which i think is completely wrong because actually what you do is if, if there is any negative energy coming from anybody else through emotions, through thoughts, through speech, or whatever it is, it's almost like it's better having a spiraling funnel, like you basically said, of passing that energy, mm -hmm. that negative energy back up to the light. Because I personally believe that negative emotions are almost like hurt people, hurt people, hurting people. And, you know, if you try and hurt them back or push them away, they never have that love. Whereas if you show them love and acceptance and then send them up to the light with love, then you can transmute them back into love and light. And that's where, you know, the power really comes from within through a sense of love rather than fear. <sighs> I just, I'm sorry. I'm just receiving that. That is incredible. I love what you just said. And I feel like I'm getting a little bit emotional because I feel like it's almost a secret of like healing humanity, mm. what you just said, because it's, it's accepting it and transmuting that negative energy so that they can transform as well. That is so powerful, amazing, and very insightful too. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's great. Okay. So let's talk about some of the success of your clients. I know you, you tagged me on one of your success stories. I don't know if you want to share that, or if you want to share one of your celebrities, I, you have thousands of stories, I'm sure to share. You want to just pick one that's your favorite and how, and how did you transform them? Like, like what is your coaching style? Okay. Well, I'm going to use, um, I do a lot of business work and um, I, I, I could use one. I, I work with the CIO of Dell, the chief information officer of Dell. And that's you great know, that you can say that. Yeah. And look, you know, you, 
you don't get these uh, people at that sea level unless you have some kind of history of success. So, but I'm going to bring one in, which because there's been so much, and this is obviously more healing orientated in terms of the podcast. So I'm going to bring one in that um, I loved and it came from Clubhouse. And because we met on Clubhouse, I'm going to, I'll use this one. So there was a lady from the Maldives who came into a mental wellness room that I run alongside some amazing other people, I have to say, they're lovely people. And uh, this lady came in and she said that she'd been three days in bed, two days with no food, one day with no water, and she was going to kill herself. And at that point, everybody was really worried. And they were saying, what are we going to do? Can we contact Maldives? We contact Clubhouse, whatever we're going to do. And I went into my heart space and put my heart, hands in my heart and said, how can I help this lady? And what came to me was make her laugh make her gargle, change her state. So I said to her, and she's come public, so I I can actually use her name. So I said to her, I said, Yao, um, do you enjoy playing games? And she said, yes. I said, right, let's play a game then. And I want to make you the clubhouse gargle champion. And there was 50 people in the room, 15 people on the uh, stage. And uh, I wanted her to gargle because she would have to get out of bed She'd have to get a glass of water. She'd have to put the water into her mouth and obviously generally swallow it. So at this point, she agreed because I said to her, I said, if she did it, she'd win a prize worth $1,000. And she was like, okay. And the $1,000 was coaching, free coaching with me. Yeah. So at that point, she then, um, she, got a, she got out of bed. She got a drink of water and um, she was just about to gargle. I said, look, look, can we just make sure the mic's working? Can you just do a big gulp so I can hear so, of course, automatically, I'm getting her to uh, to take a drink. Yeah. And um, and she gulped. And I said, okay, cool. Uh, that's all right. Okay. Give us the first gargle. So she went, oh, you know, and I'm like, <laughs> go on, girl, you could do better than that. And within no time whatsoever, there's mic claps and cheers and everything like that. And she changed her state. She suddenly started laughing. And after six gargles and six laughters and everything like that, she was in a completely different state. And I said to her, I said, look, yeah, you've won, but I'd like you to do one last thing just to seal the deal. What I'd like you to do is to go into your kitchen if you've got some bread. And she said, I have. She said, can you go into the kitchen? Can you get a slice of bread for me? And she did. And I said, I want you to have a look at that slice of bread. And I want you to look at it in a state of gratitude. The fact that it was once a seed that was sowed into wheat, that was turned into the bread, was delivered to the shop, and you went and bought it. So the gratitude is for all those different people that put that together to produce it so that it could nutritionize your body. And I want you to take a bite with gratitude. I want you to hear it in your mouth with gratitude. I want you to taste with gratitude. I want you to swirl it in your mouth with gratitude. And then I want you to swallow with gratitude. Because if you can show gratitude for such a small thing as a piece of bread and a bite of it, then you can show great gratitude for anything in life. So she did. And at that point then she completely changed her state. So I then met with her a couple of days later and obviously I kept in touch with her just to make sure she was all right. And when we met, I wanted to reframe her whole way of thinking. So just to put it in perspective, this girl at the age of 13 had been um, sexually abused in the worst possible way. And um, then at uh, 19, she was put into a arranged marriage uh, with a sociopath who locked her in a, um, in a basement and left her there for um, most of their marriage um, and uh, abused her in every single way, which was horrible. And she escaped and she was suffering massively from PTSD and um, this is why she was in the state she was. So at this point, I wanted to help her in any way I could. One, so she'd never even consider 
doing anything silly like taking their own life again. Two, to turn our mess into a message and give it meaning. And three, to forgive these people, not for them, but for her. So that was what I really wanted to do. And in order to do that, I had to use some spiritual uh, viewpoints of my own, which might not resonate with everybody, but they're mine. So I'll give them and some people will. So I believe, like Einstein said, energy never dissipates. It just moves from one form to another. So I truly believe that we go through lifetime after lifetime reincarnating in different forms to see different perspectives of life and experience life in different ways of physicality. And I believe that as well. Yeah. There you go. And the game of life is to see if you can get through the hardships, get through the tests and still turn out to be the best version of yourself and help other people in some way or form. And that's why I mean, turn your mess into a message and give it meaning and help other people in some way or form. Now, and I will say that if anyone out there is ever going through a hard time, maybe pat yourself on the back because maybe you played this game of life so often that you're testing yourself like a PlayStation game to a higher level this time to see if you can still get through that and come out the best version of yourself. So pat yourself on the back if you're having a hard time. So based on that premise, I told her all this. And I also said to her is, I believe that you choose your life. I choose your life. You choose your life to see what the perspective is in all different things. The king, the queen, the pauper, um, the person in the wheelchair, the person who's an Olympic athlete, whatever it might be, to see all these different perspectives in life. And maybe this just this time you're seeing if you can test yourself as a lady to go through the worst possible thing and still come out and inspire people in this globe, in this world. And she got that. And I said, based on that premise, if you've given yourself that test and you take your own life, you're actually undoing what you're actually coming here to do. And you might have to repeat the whole thing again. It might be harder next time. So why not get it out of the way in this lifetime? So based on that premise, I'd set an intention in her head to take an observer's view of her life rather than being wrapped in the emotion of what she went through. And then I said to her, now, what we need to remember is, like I said earlier on, hurt people hurt people. And in no way whatsoever am I taking away from what happened to you because it was a horrific and what they did to you is absolutely horrific too. But let's try and forgive them and have some understanding for them, not for them, but for you. So you can release those energies, emotions, which are stuck within almost like a river that has stagnant water at the side so that it can flow again. And you can look towards that fabulous future rather than the problems of the past. And at that point, she obviously agreed. So I said, OK, let's have a look at them. And once we had reassessed, we looked at the fact that that 13 year old boy or who, however old he was, who did what he did to her, maybe he had no love. Maybe he was abused. Maybe his parents beat him or something like that. Because why would anyone else do anything such as horrific as what he did to her? And can we just think that maybe that was the case? And she agreed, maybe that was the case. And then I went on to her husband and I said, look, what do you know anything about him? And she said, yeah, actually, he was abused by his uncle um, in a horrific way. And um, it was sexual and physical. And I said, OK, so hurt people do hurt people, as we can see. So not excusing anything he did because it was horrendous, horrific. And he has a choice which he can be you know, the, the Hitler or the Mother Teresa. And he chose to be the Hitler. Mm -hmm. But let's have understanding for him so that you can move forward and you can forgive for you. And she was like, please. So we did a forgiveness technique, which actually I kind of morphed from Louise Hayes, what she teaches mm -hmm. in terms of when you put your hand on your in front of your heart and you visualize yourself first 
um, and you say, I love you, I forgive you, and I let it go, and then put yourself into your heart and feel, actually, it's your younger self, so it's your five-year-old innocent self, and then you forgive the other person. And the reason why I use a five-year-old self is because generally it's before, hopefully, that you've been influenced by the world in a negative way, and you're still your innocent self. So then it's forgiving on a higher level, kind of a higher self level rather than kind of lower self level. And um, and she did this and she had floods of tears and massive release. And between the mindset reframing and the forgiveness and understanding, it was just a game changer. And then we said, look, obviously, you know, in a sense of purpose, maybe this happened to turn you into an inspiration to help other women that maybe have gone through this. And she said, yeah. So now she's inspiring other ladies, uh, helping them to, you know, maybe release and let go of those energies of resentment and anger and guilt so they can focus on that fabulous future on the problems of the past. Wow. That is so powerful. There's a book that highlights that process as well. I'm not Louise Hayes process of forgiveness, but, um, called left to tell. And, um, it, it was about, you know, this woman, her whole family was killed and she went through that process of physical, you know, physically forgiving them. You know, you talked about the spiritual forgiveness, which is so powerful. And she actually forgave them in person, which is like so amazing. But I think you really only need to forgive them on that spiritual level, do that process yourself. It isn't necessarily something that needs to happen in the physical world. Do you agree? I, I do uh, for you. Um, yeah. if you. If you want to show real inner power, if you can do it with the other person, it's amazing as well. And it's not easy, I have to say. Yeah. Um, I have seen though, I've had two people on my radio show who've been amazing. Uh, one of them was a lady called Joe Berry. And Joe's actually on Clubhouse. And she, she, her father was killed by an IRA a bomber. And she met him uh, a good deal later and forgave him. And they actually then went around on stage together talking about forgiveness and talking about being able to let go and everything like that. So, oh, I love that. That is so inspiring. Well, tell me about being featured by Global Women magazine. What was that like? Well... I um, so during the pandemic, I did uh, over a thousand plus hours of mental wellness work and business advice for smaller companies to keep them afloat during the pandemic. And, uh, you know, a lot of it, you know, in terms of the mental wellness work, you know, one of them was obviously Yao, which I've just talked about, but there's many, many others. Um, I just talked specifically about her because she went public. And those that haven't or haven't given me permission to talk about them, I don't for obvious reasons. And, you know, based on that, a, a few women. Um, mentioned things either on Clubhouse or publicly or whatever. And then uh, the Global Woman's Magazine CEO heard about it. And I was actually nominated by her. Um, but it is a voting thing rather than just, you know, their committee voting. So it was then people on Clubhouse, on uh, whatever, on all social media voted for me. And uh, because there was proof, right? So they, um, they, they voted for me and I, I was awarded um, Global Man of the Year for contribution to humanity, for giving back to others. Um, Congratulations. So, Is that in 2021? No, it was this year. It was in 2022. It was, oh, in, uh, it was, only, a couple, it was only a couple of months ago. So, oh, okay. Uh, wow. So I was, I was actually, I, I was awarded by a U.S. Senator 
in 2017, I think it was, or 18, um, Global Goodwill Ambassador for Dublin. And that's because I did a load of mindset and mindfulness um, seminars and conferences and gave all the money to charity, uh, whether it be the homeless or lifeboats or whatever. Um, and I did a load of healing work as well, helping people and just gave all the money to charity. And um, someone actually got, I was interviewed by a radio presenter and then he asked for a healing. And I did exactly the same. He said, how much do you want? I said, well, I want you to take 50 or 100 euros, whatever you think it's worth. I want you to give the money to charity because that's what I've been doing for the last you know, year or two, whatever. And at that point, he was like, whoa. And then he told someone, he, someone else told someone, whatever. And then someone else said, oh, I did that as well. Doug did that with me. And someone else said, oh, yeah. And then next minute, suddenly I got awarded the Global Goodwill Ambassador for Dublin. So, um, yeah, look, you know, I don't do it for awards, but it's lovely to, um, you know, to be acknowledged for the, for giving to others without the uh, intention of receiving anything in return because great giving to others is one of the greatest gifts you can give to yourself uh, because the contentment of seeing lives change and seeing people smile mm, yeah that's so amazing i love that so tell me about your radio show inspire inspirational people inspirational stories what has been one of your best interviews you've had Oh, wow. I've had so many. Uh, I've interviewed probably over 250 people now. Oh, and wow. I, as you know, I've had Dr. John Martini on six times, Lisa Nichols from The Secret Film on two times, Stephen Covey on two times, Jack Daly on five times, uh, four times, um, Keith Barry, the magician. He was amazing, actually, as well. Um, oh, he that's did, great. He, he did a trick on, which I don't know how he did, on, on the actual show. Oh. I think I've even had the, the first guy in the world to do the seven summits of the world twice, um, including Everest from both sides. Uh, and he's done the North Pole and the South Pole, a guy called Pat Falvey. Uh, and he's a friend of mine. He is wow. Uh, I'm seeing him actually this weekend. Anyway, and um, but I think one of the ones that really, really touched my heart that I'll never forget was a lady called Jessica Cox. And Jessica was born with no arms. And Jessica is a black belt in karate, proper black belt. She is the only person in the world to have flown a plane uh, with just her feet. She drives with just her feet. She scuba dives with just her feet. And she is just amazing. And when the- Wow, that's incredible. I know. And when the tsunamis happened back in, whenever it was, 2008, nine, I can't remember exactly when it was over in the, you know, in, in the East, um, she went over there to those who'd lost limbs and showed them the potential of what they could do uh, just with their feet. And uh, so she inspired me. She was one of the earliest people that I uh, interviewed in my first year. And I've never forgotten her because <laughs> inspiring, very, very inspiring. That's amazing. I love that. I love her story. You know, um, I used to do work with the Challenged Athletes Foundation, and I worked with athletes with no arms, no legs that were doing triathlons. And Robin Williams was a part of it too. So I got to meet him and I would just cry when I would do these triathlons because it was relay. So like a person would do the triathlon with this challenge athlete and you'd be a team and, you know, you raise money for this organization. And, um, anyway, I just, I just loved it because you really get to experience through them, no limits. And your interview with Jessica, the same. 
Mm. Like the only limits are in our mind because we think, oh my gosh, poor them. They're holding back. But sometimes maybe these people are living a more full life than others. Like they maybe even appreciate it more. Yeah. A hundred percent. And look again, what I said earlier on about, we come down to this planet to learn to grow, to evolve, become better versions of ourselves. You know, when people go through these kind of things and yet inspire the world by what they do and how they help other people. Isn't that just amazing? Isn't that just really cool? Um, I love it. I love hearing stories like this. And yeah, uh, yeah, I love that. It's so great. And and that's why you have this amazing radio show that is so successful. And how did you get to be so spiritual? Were you always like this? Did you have no. an awakening <laughs> at the hedge fund or? Well, Chris, I, I have to say when I was, someone asked me this question on another podcast recently. And when I was a child, um, my mother's always been in spirituality. She was into yoga and then she got, became a Reiki master um, very, very, um, a long time ago when I was quite young. Um, but I wasn't into it. But I do remember when I was, I think, maybe eight or nine years of age, um, I was totally into sport and competition. But I was also, I loved sitting in my bedroom, looking out of the back. And we had these beautiful garden, we had a beautiful garden with whisking trees. And I would just sit there mindfully looking at the branches and the leaves moving mm. in the wind. And I would sit there and sometimes almost get into a trance just watching the movement and the energy of the trees at a very young age. And the other thing I realized in terms of, I look back now in terms of the manifestation, in terms of spirituality, and we all can do this, but you know, something that I really resonated with, which came from a place of love. At eight years of age, I had a girlfriend called Claire. Uh -huh. And I was living in Ireland and we, I was massively in love with her. And at eight and a half, my dad said, we're moving to England. And I was absolutely, I couldn't believe it. You know, I, I'm gonna miss Claire. I wasn't really bothered about anything else, but I was just gonna miss Claire. And um, I dreamed, wished and prayed that I would see her again and really meant it from the heart. And we moved to England for seven years. And then after seven years, we moved from England and London to Brussels in Belgium. And when we moved to Brussels in Belgium, going into the same class at the same time, uh, was Claire. And um, I realized that this came from true love and true prayer and true visualization of really wanting something from a place of heart. And that's where I believe that you can create that. So that was probably a kind of a realization at that age of 15 or whatever it was, mm. um, that there was something to do with energy and spirituality. But what really ha happened, and I, I had little bits sold along my life, don't get me wrong, but what really was the game changer was in uh, 2012, actually 2008, basically, I had, uh, obviously the stock market went through the floor. Uh, I suffered massively from stress. The stress led, led to ailment after ailment, doctor after doctor, specialist after specialist, two operations that went wrong, three years of chronic pain in my abdomen, like I was being punched in the stomach. And then in oh, 2012, wow. just when I thought nothing could get any worse, I got the norovirus, which is like a stomach bomb. And after 10 days of serious dehydration, where my electrolytes were down to zero, basically, I was rushed to hospital, ECG said heart, blood pressure doubled. And when I arrived in A&E, I was rushed down to x-ray and on the way down, I suddenly died. I was encapsulated in this amazing feeling of love, energy and connection. Nothing like I'd ever felt before. There was no man with a beard, but there was definitely this loving, beautiful energy that surrounded me, connected me to almost everything. And um, I just had this knowing that I needed to change my life in some way or form. Uh, but I came back, obviously, I wouldn't be talking to you now, and um, came back and at that point, I 
wanted to give something back because I had the spiritual experience. So I didn't know what else to do. And there's a church course called the Alpha Course that was going on in Christianity in England. So I thought I'd go and do that. I, I went down and obviously they started talking about Jesus and everything like that. And I said to them at the time, I said, look, when I was encapsulating that amazing feeling of love, energy and connection, I truly believe that, that love energy would never alienate or discriminate against anybody in this world. And I believe that religions are all like rivers to the sea. They're all beautiful in their own right, all different paths, but really it's just about getting to the sea. And they said to me, okay, well, that's interesting, but it's not really what we do here. Maybe you should consider something else. So I walked out and I didn't know what to do. And I said to the universe, God, or whatever you believe in, I said, give me a sign. And two days later, I was helping a friend of mine who had cancer um, in terms of nutrition and mindset. And um, I said to him, I said, look, you know, I went, did this course the other day, and maybe something soul light might help you as well. So he agreed. And anyway, I went home and that night I was going running with my dog and my dog has never tripped me up before. And suddenly my dog went flying out in front of me, tripped me up. I went flying over the dog. I cut my hand and my knee to shreds. And once the cuts had kind of healed a bit, um, it was quite a bad fall. Um, I had uh, an eight or an infinity sign here in my palm, an eight or an infinity sign on the other side of the palm. And between the two of them, I had the letters of the cross in, in cuts I-N-R-I. -I. It was big I, big N, small r, small i. So it's like saying, Jesus of Nazareth here, not really king of the Jews, but go back and do that course. So I went back and did the religious course, the, the Christianity course, got into the Bible, read loads of the Bible, but still felt that, you know, that rivers to the sea analogy. So I felt that I had to learn more. So I started learning and discovering other uh, Buddhisms and Jadisms and Judaisms and Islam and everything like that and spirituality and met some amazing people including the Dalai Lama and but realized that they were all like rivers to the sea so that's where I became more spiritual but also in terms of the spirituality when I had the near-death experience as well after that I was still suffering a bit in terms of the pain in terms of the stomach and I wanted to heal myself so my mother, having been a healer, she suggested maybe I go and saw, see this lady. And this lady said to me, you've got healing ability. We all have. But she said it to me to give me a direction. And at that point, um, I was like, yeah, right, whatever. Um, but I tried it. We were out camping one time in the middle of nowhere. My son stepped on a, on a uh, big, big splinter, which we couldn't get out. We thought we were going to have to go to the doctor or hospital or something like that. It was miles away. So I just said to my ex-wife at the time, I said, shall I use my healing power? And she looked at me like I had two heads, but I gave it a go and just visualized, you know, energy and light coming down to, through me, into him, through my hands, uh, said a few prayers, visualized it coming out. And it did. It came out. So at that point, my son told everybody and it went from there, really. And then that's where the spirituality probably really came from, because I started learning different modalities of healing, became a master teacher, healing, healer of five modalities of healing, uh, meditation coach, mindfulness coach, and then met loads of spiritual people and masterminded and learned as much as possible and then put those learnings into practice, which is the most important thing. There's a lot of spiritual people out there who've read every book under the sun, but they don't actually practice it in terms of being that aware person. Where can I self-improve? What are my imperfections? And the most uh, grounded version of consciousness and spirituality in my viewpoint is self-love, but also emotional intelligence. And actually, you know, self-love comes from love, which comes from an emotion, which comes from being able to manage those emotions, which comes from emotional intelligence. So in terms of emotional intelligence, that's about self-awareness, being aware of the areas that you need to self-improve on your traumas, your triggers, your parental programs that don't serve you. 
And then also as well, it's about, you know, being able to have a look at yourself in terms of self-regulation, in terms of being able to make sure that you respond rather than react to those testing people that come into your life in terms of creating win-win in the interactions of life. It's also about empathy and compassion, because let's face it, you need to put yourself in other people's shoes. So many people have opinions and they push their opinions on other people without seeking to ask the right questions to understand. And we are all product of our parents or preachers or teachers and past relationships and experiences. And that means that we all come from different angles and see things in different ways. And we need to come from the other person's angle and understand them rather than just pushing our own ideas. And then conscious communication, which is all about, you know, in terms of making sure you say the right things to create what you want in your life rather than what you don't want. And let's face it, that comes a lot down to relationships. And relationships comes from the word relationship, which says a ship that goes in a direction. You want to make sure that you and your partner are on board that ship in the right direction. And you do that by relaying in terms of conscious communication and active listening or hearing those shuns, those expectations, those conditions, those needs and those values so that you're aligned on board that ship sailing in the right direction of life. So they're generally the, the keys. And the one last thing I'll say in terms of spirituality and emotional intelligence is motivation in terms of motivating yourself and the people around you. But actually, I prefer the word inspiration because motive comes from a reason which is outside of you. Inspiration comes from the word in spirit, which means it comes from a place of love inside of you. And that comes from a sense of purpose. And the way you can create purpose in your life is, like I said earlier on, turn your mess into a message to give it meaning or have a look at the energetics of what you do and how it aligns to bettering someone's life or write down five things you love doing, five things you're good at doing and five things you can add value to people find a match and go out there and do it. Yeah, that's amazing. Oh, that's so inspiring. And and one of the things I, I just wanted to recognize uh, about you is that I feel like your life came full circle when you started integrating spirituality into business. And I really feel like you're making a big impact doing that, you know, not only with individuals, but business. And I have a desire to do that someday. So I, I just look up to you and I think that you're amazing and I love your philosophy on life. It's been such a pleasure getting to know you and hearing about how you help and inspire others. So I'll put your website and how to connect with you and your radio show in the show notes and let us know when your book is out so we can help promote it. I'd be delighted. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, yeah. It was a pleasure having you on my show. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Zen Success. I would love to get your feedback at zensuccesspodcast.com on what topics you'd be most interested in and what Zen Success is to you. Thanks for listening.